2: America
3: Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Matisse here Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. Uh, we have Congressman Rob Whitman, Senator Bill Haggerty, uh, Dr. Peter Michalos, Congressman Mike Waltz, and let's start off the show with Janine Pirro, and she is mad as heck of what's going on in Washington. Uh, Jeanine Pirot, Judge, I, I think the American people are starting to doubt the validity of the Department of Justice. I mean,, I, well, I, I hate to say
4: that. Well, uh, you hate to say it. I spent 30 years in the trenches as a prosecutor, a judge and a D.A. I was a believer. I mean, I believe in the justice system. I believe in truth, justice, and the American way. So no one is more devastated by what we're seeing in America today than than people like me who have fought the good fight and have have made sure that justice was meted out in an even-handed manner. But what is happening in America today, and I I don't think people are just finding it out. I think people have felt it uh, instinctively, but it has been confirmed and reconfirmed. It shouldn't matter what part of the, the political spectrum you're on. But it's it's pretty pretty clear that, you know, if you are a Democrat, uh, that you're going to get away with whatever you need to get away with. Even if you admit your crime, as, as Hillary Clinton did in the Durham report, they came out and said she made up the dossier, that fake dossier that, you know, the former president, uh, Barack Obama, who was the president at the time and Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, she told them that she had to make up this dossier uh, to get the press off her back with the email scandal. And the FBI, the Department of Justice, took that fake dossier and split this country apart for four years. I mean, the haters, oh, my God, Donald Trump, he's he's pro-Putin, he's a Putin asset, Russian asset. Um, and, And then what we see is we've got a sitting president who's got classified documents, from when he was a senator, where it is a crime to take any documents out of the skiff, uh, which obviously is a sensitive room where you you can't take anything out, you can't send any send any messages. He's got those documents from when he was a senator. I mean, that's pretty clear
3: cut. Yeah, now, I think their defense has been that it's past the statute of limitations. Is oh, there a statute okay. of limitations let me, on? Let
4: me tell you something. Let me tell you something, John, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but if the FBI knew about it and purposely did nothing about it, as far as I'm concerned, the statute of limitations is told, if t- T-O-L-L-E-D. If they, if they intentionally did nothing, they knew about it, and they, they, they dug their heels in and said, we're not going after them, then as far as I'm concerned, they're part of the fraud. And the statute of limitations when it comes to fraud is when you find out about it.
3: Uh, I, I verbally said it on WABC that uh, y- 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 if something is not right and they have uh, that the, if the Department of Justice, people, people at the Department of Justice, if they have undue influence that, of something wrong with the FBI, then I think Christopher Ray has the obligation to stand up and say enough is enough. Th- this is wrong and uh, you, you should not be directing uh, the FBI to do X, Y and Z. First of all, do you think Christopher Ray has the the intestinal
4: fortitude to do that? The first time he appeared before Congress, and he you know, Congress was asking in their oversight uh, authority for certain documents. said, well, you know, we can't give it. And this was years ago, and right now, with that 1023, the most damaging document around, Christopher Ray was not handing it over to Congress, which has congressional oversight, constitutional oversight over uh the department of justice and the fbi it wasn't until they threatened him contempt that he made a decision to hand over a 1023 redacted of course but that 1023 wasn't even classified but what was in the 1023 john what was in that 1023 is not only the claim by a verified confirmed paid for fbi agent uh, fbi informant i should say uh who had been proven truthful over and over again that a president of a company, probably Burisma, was giving Joe Biden and Hunter Biden $5 million each to make sure that Burisma could do work in the United States. And then the same document is the one that said he's got tapes. Now, the, the, this is a document the FBI didn't want to hand over. Christopher Ray, instead of fighting with Congress, and refusing to hand over an unclassified document that they're entitled to, you ought to be investigating that.
3: If Congress investigates it, who prosecutes?
4: Nobody. That's the whole point. The Department of Justice is in the swamp.
3: Uh, we, the American people have to sort it out because it's difficult to see where the heck we are right now. Uh, Tell us, uh, you're going to be on uh, today, Sunday at 11 o'clock on WABC. What are you going to talk about? Well, you know what? I have
4: got an excellent medical uh, doctor who, uh, as you may know, John, there have been something like 350 medical articles and and things uh, that well-documented about how we were misled during covid And I'm not interested, although I, of course, I am. But um, in terms of where it came from, I think everybody agrees it came from the Wuhan lab. But the issue that we're going to be talking about is what was the evidence that caused them to come out with this vaccine? There is evidence that the vaccine, especially for Omicron, made it worse for people. That's why they were telling them to get it again and again. So I've got Dr. Peter McCullough, who's going to be on. And I've also got Frank Gaffney, who's going to be on, uh, with all of what's going on in China right now, and whether or not the United States is going to let Xi Jinping invade Taiwan in exchange for those uh, chips that we so desperately need. And, you know, dollars to donuts, I think China does it while Joe Biden is president, because everyone knows he's a weakling.
3: Well, Judge Jeanine Pirro, I'm looking forward to your 11 o'clock show besides and and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. With us today is Congressman Michael Walsh, and uh, he is the Republican congressman uh, from the district in Northeast Florida, and he's the only Republican on, uh, on House Intelligence, Armed Forces, and Foreign Affairs Committees. Uh, tell us, uh, Congressman... Uh, what the heck is going on? The American people, uh, it's Sunday morning, they're, they're, they're drinking their black cup of coffee, and they want to know what the heck is going on in, uh, in Washington because things don't seem to be going in the right direction sometimes.
1: And I got to tell you, John, it just boggles my mind what these corrupt, biased individuals, I'm talking about Comey, McCabe, Strock, Page, uh, Loretta Lynch, Brennan, Clapper—all of them. They all. I mean, what has come truly come to light from this Durham report uh, was that there was—it was absolutely a, an investigation in search of a crime. They had no evidence of collusion uh, with Russia when they started Crossfire Hurricane in 2016, and. Uh, which still just boggles my mind, all of those people, including Obama and Biden, all knew that it was a Clinton campaign hit, uh, uh, that this was opposition research, and not only do we have a party in power turning the powers of the state against a political opponent in favor of Clinton, they were whitewashing what what Clinton was up to, which was truly destroying evidence, uh, and allowing classified materials kind of to be out there in the domain. And once Trump became president, then you had the powers of the state turning against the sitting president. Uh, and it is, um, it is just so damaging. And yet there have been so little accountability uh, from these individuals getting, many of them have been fired or transferred or lost their job. That's not enough. And we've got to continue to push.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it ahead. seems like the, the American people, all they want is the truth. In Washington, it seems like uh, uh, there's two sides to the truth, uh, according to, you know, if you're watching CNN or if you're watching Fox News, you get two different truths. Uh, so, yeah,
1: right. Well, So you're going to have people out there blowing hot air. That's fine. What I mean, that's, yeah, it's frustrating. It's ridiculous because you've got people you know, that are living in two different realities. And it's not as much about what's being said. It's what, as much as what's being not said. Because, for example, this Durham report that says the media, these individuals in the Justice Department, our intelligence community, uh, Clinton campaign, what have you, uh, all made all of this up and drugged the country through the mud, uh, that gets no coverage in, uh, in the Main Street media. They just completely whitewash it. Uh, after spending years and years and years saying Trump was, a, was an agent uh, of, a, of a hostile country. So it's, um, you're right, it's, it's frustrating. But this report, I would encourage everybody to read it, really lays out the truth on how bad it is and what they attempted to do. Uh, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to continue to put a spotlight in all these dark corners. Imagine if Trump hadn't won. Uh, And uh, and, you know, what we wouldn't know. And imagine, John, if Republicans hadn't won what we wouldn't know in just the last five months with what's going on with the Hunter Biden, with the whistleblowers that are coming out, the Afghanistan investigation. Uh, This is I mean, it's why elections are so damn consequential
3: no i, I agree 100 percent. and like i said the truth has to prevail sometime and I, and I hope the truth will prevail the other thing that's going on uh congressman and you're on uh, intelligence and armed services is it seems like uh china is surpassing us in in our army navy uh air force etc mm-hmm. uh well, Are both sides, Democrats and Republicans, realize that what's going on, and are we doing something about it?
1: Well, Republicans certainly do, and it's one of the reasons we have a special committee, a select committee on China. That's not just, you know, I'm on armed services. We're looking at the military buildup, and you're right, uh, in the sense of they're outbuilding us in Navy ships, new ships at a rate of three to one. Uh, they're out building, <laughs> they're launching more into space than us and the and the rest of the world combined. Uh, John, they they are not doubling, they're tripling the amount of nuclear ICBMs that they have. This is a 1930s what we saw with Germany and Japan. This is a 1930s style massive, massive military build up, and they're launching new technologies like hypersonics uh, that we can't defend against. So this is no time to be cutting our defense budget. Do we need to make it more efficient? Absolutely. And it's no time to have Biden's Pentagon being focused on diversity and climate instead of war fighting and matching China. On terms of Democrats, look, the ones, I'll be honest with you, on the national security committees, like the ones I'm on, yes, they get it because they're seeing the intelligence and it's undeniable. But you go talk to a Democrat on say, the education committee and say, look, having 400,000 Chinese students in all of our research labs uh, sending all of our high-technology intellectual property back to Beijing is a problem,
3: and they don't get it. Uh, they don't you get know, it. They, not, not
1: at, they don't have access to the intelligence.
3: And my, my, friends, my friends at, and, at the FBI, yeah. I say, how many agents do you have assigned to watching all these 400,000 kids in universities? And they only have a thousand FBI agents assigned to watching those 400,000 kids.
1: You know this is my problem with Chris Ray. They got agents dedicated to parents as domestic terrorists in that task force. They had uh, you know almost a hundred agents you know on how to monitor misinformation on Twitter uh, in the run-up to a campaign. So you're right, it's about priorities. And when Chris Ray says they're opening a new counterintelligence investigation, every 12 hours. Uh, when the National Science Foundation, that most people have never heard of, but they're responsible for half of all of our high-tech research grants and all of our universities get, are getting a thousand percent increase in referrals from the FBI for grant theft and fraud. It's all related to China. Look, we're under a tsunami of Chinese spying. Uh, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. And, uh, and we that's why, John, language matters. That's why I've been saying the Chinese Communist Party have entered into a cold war, a new cold war against the United States. They seek to defeat us and replace us. That's their words. We've got to wake up to it as a country. And when you hear Biden saying, oh, well, we just want to compete, you know, they're, they're, they're not an adversary. They're a competitor. It's like, countries compete in the Olympics. <laughs> gotcha. We're not competitors. This is a life or death adversary. And I'm glad you brought that up because we've got to wake up to it as a country.
3: Well, Congressman, we're out of time. Uh, congressman Waltz, I neglected to say you were a Green Beret, a combat veteran besides being a congressman. Thank you for your service. Thank you for sticking up for the United States of America. And God bless America. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, thank you, John. Number one job of the federal government is to keep this country safe, and, uh, and uh, we'll keep fighting that fight.
3: This is John Katz from If you want to hear the full interview, Go to wabcradio.com. Be right back.
1: You're listening to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis.
3: With us today is Congressman Rob Whitman, Vice Chairman of the House Armed Services Committee and U.S. Representative from the 1st Congressional District in in Virginia since 2007. And uh, Congressman, uh, what keeps you up at night?
5: Well, John, the threat from China uh, really keeps me up at night. I serve on the select committee on on the strategic competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. And I am concerned with what China is doing to not just the United States, but what they're trying to do to dominate the world economically and strategically. And let me tell you, they are insidious in what they are doing. Their intention is not just to compete, but to defeat the United States in every way, shape or form. It concerns me, the aggressiveness that they're pursuing uh, and the means to which they will, are willing to go to to defeat the United States.
3: Well, they, they have, uh, uh, there's a billion four hundred million 400 million of them, uh, probably 100 million are members of the Communist Party that are, they're out doing what they have to do to accomplish that. Uh, I mean, our borders are under attack, uh, fentanyl coming in those are, uh, from, old, from the Mexican border, uh, our education system. Uh, are, you know, they're fighting our armed forces. I mean, they're going to have more uh, ships in the Navy than we do. Yes. And uh, and uh, I think the uh, Air Force, they're going to exceed us in airplanes in the near future.
5: They are. At, at every turn, strategically, they're going to outpace us. Air, land, sea, space, and cyber. Uh, we have to do more to be able to not only keep pace, but be able to have any chance to, to counter them and their efforts around the world. Most insidious thing they're doing is is entangling themselves in every aspect of the world economy. If you look at what they're doing now in South America and Central America, look at the spy station they've set up in Cuba. Look at what they're doing in Africa, exploiting natural resources. You know, they are there for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to provide strategic dominance for China.
3: And there's a hundred million of them on that mission. Yes, uh, uh, Congressman. Uh, the other thing that they're doing is they're using their influence they're pushing electric vehicles and in and it seems like a big scam to me Uh, I mean the United States has a hundred years worth of 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 oil and they have no oil so they rather push the electric vehicles they're making all the batteries etc etc and uh, I understand you met with uh, a foreign, uh, uh, was it Toyota you met with? Yes, yes. Tell us about your meeting with Toyota.
5: Well, we had some great conversations with folks at Toyota Motor Company, and just to just to get their perspective, because a lot of American motor companies, and of course Toyota manufacturers in the United States, have a. Mindset about what they're going to do with electric vehicles. And Toyota has said that their mindset is they are going to build a whole variety of vehicles. They're going to build EVs, electric vehicles, they're going to build hybrids, they're going to build gas and diesel because they see the need being there for those different vehicles. And they said if they just limited their production to a single vehicle, that is an electric vehicle, that it would not coincide with the infrastructure available in the United States. I've spoken to our electric companies that have said, Rob, we cannot supply electricity in a reliable form uh, in the time
3: span that these car manufacturers want to go totally over to electric vehicles. And I agree with that 100%. I don't mind having electric vehicles. It should be an option to the, uh, the buyer. I mean, you want an electric vehicle, you can have one. You want a gas vehicle, you can have one. And uh, uh, I mean, I've I've been saying that General Motors, if they're going to push all their customers to electric vehicles, might file another bankruptcy. That's my opinion. I mean, uh, but uh, it's energy. That's another good subject. Yes, we're not going to provide enough energy for the United States of America with windmills and with 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 sun. I mean, um, there's new technology coming out and. Uh, it's called SMR.
5: Yes, yeah, small modular reactors. It's an exciting technology that's actually been used for decades with the United States Navy. If you look at what they've done in powering nuclear aircraft carriers or nuclear submarines, they've done this more consistently and, and safer than anybody in the history of humankind. Not a single accident. And that's what we Not need a to single
3: do. accident in 40 years. That's right. Yes, yes. Well, except for the thrusher forty years ago.
5: Yeah, well, that, that was that was a uh, an, an accident with the submarine itself. It really wasn't uh, due to the to, to the to the nuclear plant, but uh, but the uh, but the issue was um, the challenge for us today in in getting this to scale. Uh, what I want to see us do is to say small modular reactors have worked for, for decades.
3: So it's the size of, of this room or something. It's yes. a, not that big because they feel uh, they, they're, they're on nuclear submarines, they're on aircraft carriers. And uh, uh, I understand that uh, uh, they're gonna, they can power a city of, of, a, of a half a million or a million uh, and you can even buy two of them to have a backup power
5: system. That's right, and and you know, and they're and they're environmentally friendly. You know, we can manage the what whatever. Listen, there's there are all kinds of safety measures there to make sure that these things are safe. I, I think that we can do that with, without concern, and we're going to need that for this nation's uh, energy needs in the future. You cannot you cannot meet this nation's energy needs without nuclear.
3: Power. It's the green energy, the French, and yes. the, I understand the French and. Uh, The uh, Germans have uh, already said it's a green energy.
5: I I think it's our future. In fact, I have a bill in H.R. 3553, the 21st Century Atomic Energy Production Act, and what this does is to say we are going to aggressively go after the regulatory process to make sure we can simply and, and quickly get these plants approved, make sure that we're doing everything we can to get the newest technology in place to make sure that they're safe. I mean, those are things that we need to be doing. If we're serious about the uh, energy uh, demands of this nation in the future, nuclear energy is going to be a part of that. If you don't do that, then you're never going to get there. Never going to get there.
3: I'm an animal lover. I understand these windmills they're trying to put on on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got to dig down deep because if the windmills are 600, 700 feet high, you've got to build a big foundation and there's a lot of explosions going on trying to put those foundations in. They're killing all our whales.
5: Mm-hmm. Well, listen, there's a lot of questions. We had a hearing last week on right whale um, strandings and trying to figure out what was at issue. And some of the witnesses there wanted to talk about entanglements and ship collisions. And certainly those are part of mortality. But there's also other things, John, as you said, that, that lend themselves to a right whale mortality as well as humpbacks and others. It includes predation by orcas and great white sharks, as well as the impacts of these construction projects offshore. As you know, whales are very sensitive to this low frequency sound. Uh, it, I think it does have an impact. And and even the Biden administration themselves says, hey, you need to look at this to see what the impact is on these whale populations.
3: And they're killing millions of birds because then we don't even count them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they, go, they, they don't see the turbines t- turning, and they, they fly into the turbines, and they're killing millions of birds. So these environmentalists that want wind energy, they're killing all the whales, and they're killing all the birds.
5: Well, it's certainly ha- having an effect. And you know, I think what we need to determine is, is what's the scale of the effect? How many, how many birds are indeed being um, impacted by this? And, yeah. and listen, it, it, it may not be killing them outright, but it may be enough to where they can't fly, and then... They're on the water, and they, they eventually perish. The same with whales. I mean, all these things they're doing out there, I think, invariably do have an impact on marine mammal populations. So it may not just be whales. It's other marine mammals out there also.
3: Congressman, we've got a minute left. Uh, tell us, what do, you, what do you want to tell the American people? There's, you know, millions of them listening right now, maybe up to 5 million, we're a national show on Sunday morning. Yes. Well, what I would tell them is, is the greatest challenge that our
5: nation faces today it is the threat of our lifetime is China. And we have to approach this on all fronts. So it's not just a military issue. It's also uh, an economic issue. I would tell them if they have investments, uh, to talk to their, to their investment counselor and ask them, are they invested in companies that are Chinese companies? Because every company there is tied to the Chinese Communist Party. Are they investing in bond funds that buy Chinese bonds? Because in every one of those situations, that is feeding the wolf that will eat us. I'm just so concerned about that because the magnitude of this continues to grow every day. And I want to make sure that we address it. There needs to be transparency there so people
3: understand. You need transparency. Congressman, yes. Yes. whether, whether you're, you're a hedge fund guy or whether you're a, an investor, if you invest in China... In in the wrong way, where they make you disclose your trade secrets, Yes, that's going to hurt the America that it, we love. It does.
5: Handing over intellectual property, or for the, that matter, they steal intellectual property. All of that harms America and America's companies. We cannot survive doing that.
3: Well, Congressman, thank you so much, uh, Congressman uh, Rob Whitman, a Vice Chairman, House Armed Services, and Virginia's first congressional district since 2007. Thank you so much for coming on, WABC. And uh, God bless you and God bless America.
5: John, thanks so much. Great to be on with you.
1: Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Catsimatidis.
3: And we continue with the Cats Roundtable with truth, justice, and the American way, because that's what our heart believes in. What is today is Senator uh, Bill Haggerty from the great state of Tennessee. He stopped by uh, our New York studios today. And uh, Senator, welcome to New York. Thank
2: you, John. It's great to be here with you today.
3: Uh, Senator, uh, when you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, and worry about our country, what do you worry about the most?
2: You know, I think I'm most deeply concerned about uh, the challenge that we face from China right now. It's a situation I've been watching for years. As you know, I served as the United States ambassador to Japan. From 2017 through the Trump administration and I had a front-row seat for China's aggression their predatory behavior but even before that John as a business person I'd seen it I'd experienced it I've had my intellectual property stolen by Chinese companies the the Chinese Communist Party could not be more aggressive more predatory they take our intellectual property they force technology transfer they use industrial espionage they've been at war with the United States from an economic standpoint for decades From a military standpoint, they are dramatically increasing their military presence. The pressure that they're putting on the South China Sea is enormous. They built these artificial islands. You may recall uh, Xi Jinping coming to the White House back in 2015, telling Obama that he had absolutely no intention to militarize those islands. And then he turns right around in 2016, totally militarizing the islands. When I got to Japan in 2017, again, the United States has more military stations in Japan than any place else in the world. It's a tough neighborhood out there. But we pushed back and we pushed back hard north korea china saw that we saw a tremendous change a tremendous shift in the uh way that we dealt with the chinese the way that we dealt with north koreans and what they began to understand john is that we were speaking from a position of strength again no more leading from behind and relations changed dramatically our phase one trade deal that we did with china a dramatic shift in the currents there but what we've seen with the biden administration stepping into office is backpedaling on every front, and China's become emboldened in the process.
3: Now, Senator, you you were very close to the whole situation. You were in Japan. Uh, you saw what China was doing. Uh, it, 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 we are being attacked on so many fronts with China, not attacked by Chinese people. Uh, the Communist Party probably has 100 million uh, loyal to the Communist Party. Uh, our borders are under attack. Uh, the fentanyl coming through our borders are under attack. Uh, the universities are being paid a lot of money with through, uh, uh, through the Chinese to take their students. So far, it's been an economic war with Japan, with with uh, China. It's been an economic war. It's been a uh, uh, you. You tell me. I mean,
2: it's. It, it, I think it's gotten worse though under the Biden administration. Who would have dreamed? That China would have violated our sovereignty in the way that they did with this spy balloon that floated over our country for, what, eight days, John? They came over my home state of Tennessee, hovering over important strategic military installations, Oak Ridge National Lab in Tennessee. They cut a deal with Cuba to put a spy station there. If you look at what's happening in Latin America right, at our, right in our backyard here, China has become the number one trading partner for most every country in Latin America. Their Belt and Road Initiative is on full display down there. And when I was just down in Latin America, uh, the, the countries there, I met with the presidents of Chile, I met with the president of Uruguay, I met with the president of Colombia. They all want to do business with America. But our talking points at this administration have to do with climate change and humanitarian issues, whereas these countries are trying to put food on the table. They're trying to navigate their way out of the pandemic. Their economy's in the tank. They got high crime. They want to be talking economics and infrastructure. China's there talking that, and we're talking something way beyond it.
3: Saudi Arabia, for some reason, hates the White House. They don't trust the White House. They have aligned themselves with China. And right now, uh, we're, Russia is an enemy, uh, for the White House says, but we're buying their oil. Uh, Russia is selling oil at a 30% discount to uh, Pakistan. Pakistan is selling it to us at retail, and they're making 30% in between. I mean, it, it, it's a joke, but you can't make it up.
2: Well, I, I think Russia and China and Pakistan, in that case, are all playing us for a sucker. And this administration, the Biden administration, has basically put itself in a position of weakness and put our nation in a position of weakness as a consequence of it. And what you just described is yet another example. And I would have never dreamed that we would see a situation where China would be brokering a deal between the Saudis and the Iranians. But that's what we've seen now. That's an unnatural uh, that's an unnatural alliance. But China is stepping into a void that we are creating. And we need to be dealing with I- Israel, our greatest ally in the region. We need to be dealing with Saudi, a strategic ally. Instead, this administration would rather attack the Saudis. They would rather poison the, 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 the relationship there. And they want to do a deal with Iran, which is just shocking.
3: We've got a minute left, Senator. What else do you want to tell the American people? Uh, the banking situation. If they keep raising the interest rates, they're going to break everybody. I was I was a CEO of a bank in 1990. If you if you gave me gold bars to lend you money on, I couldn't lend you money on it. And we're going to get back to that situation.
2: It's uh, it's very, very difficult. What's happened is you've got a Federal Reserve that's trying to walk a tightrope right now. The Biden administration has created unprecedented inflation. You think about what they did waging war on U.S. energy. They drove energy prices up from the day they came into office a 40% increase in the price of energy is going to be inherently inflationary across the economy. That's
3: what destroyed the whole economy. Indeed. When, they, when the price of oil doubled, that's caused the inflation. But instead of bringing down the price of oil, now it's down to 68. I've, I've worked very closely with <laughs> Senator Sullivan in the, in Alaska. It's down to 68, and inflation is coming down. But Ch- Chairman Powell doesn't know that, and uh
2: if he doesn't lower interest rates, our economy is going to go in the tank. Well, I'm going to be seeing Chairman Powell this week. He'll be in front of me on Thursday. And as I said, he's walking a tightrope right now. They decided to pause at this last meeting, but they gave a signal that they will probably raise rates again, perhaps twice. That's what the market is pricing in right now, and I think it's very dangerous.
3: That is stupid, uh, because if they raise rates, the banks are going to stop lending completely.
2: John, there's a tremendous amount of stress in the banking system. We saw what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank right here in New York. Um, if you think about the fact is the, the, the fact that they've raised rates so dramatically, this is the steepest yield curve increase that we've seen in four decades. And it's put, a, it's put a bunch of stress on the banking system, and it's exactly what you're saying. Banks are cutting back on their lending right now. Yes. And reduction of bank lending is going to have it's a negative hurt. It hurt. It dampening hurt. effect on the economy. It's gonna, well,
3: Senator Bill Haggerty, I want to thank you for stopping by WABC, and thank Great you to be so you. much. And God bless you, and God bless America, and we'll catch up again real soon. Amen, John. Thank you. Amen. All the best. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. He knows a lot about science. Steve, what do you want to talk about this Sunday morning? Well, good
6: morning, John. It's great to be back on the Cats Roundtable, as we wish everybody a great Sunday. But the main news event, obviously, is about inner space. And sad that we, of course, got confirmation that those five people on board the very tiny little submersible Motion gate, the Titan... But I wanted to put this in kind of relative uh, perspective about inner space versus outer space. John, we've only mapped 20 percent of the ocean floor. We know more about the surface of the planet Mars with all the uh, you know spacecraft that have orbited it for years, which makes the inner world of the oceans so much more complicated and so much more unknown. And we find out, John, that there are three layers of the ocean, and to keep it really simple as we move on. There's an area called the sunlight zone. It goes down to about 200 meters. There's an area below that called the twilight zone, not the TV show, but a part of the ocean where sperm whales and other exotic fish live. And that goes down to about 1,000 meters. And then we have this very strange region under the ocean called the midnight zone. 1,000 meters to 4,000 meters, and who knows beyond what's there. But according to the scientists, they say that sunlight begins to fade when you get about 650 feet below the surface of the ocean. So what's interesting about this, John, is that's really an unknown realm, to say the least. It's uh, totally amazing, and it's very sad to report what we've heard, the confirmation of the loss of the Ocean Gate Titan.
3: Now, I uh, was on uh, the other day uh, uh, with some people, uh, and they were telling me, at 10,000 feet, uh, the pressure on that craft that was down near uh, the Titan uh, submarine is yes. almost 30,000 pounds per square inch. So it Absolutely. really has to be a solid uh, situation. Otherwise, yes. and, and you know what happens? It's like a balloon. If you blow it yes. up and, and, and deflate it so many times, it gets weaker. You're
6: right, John. And what's so sad about this, and I don't want to attack any of the people from the Ocean Gate Company, I don't know them, but we do know this. The 22-foot-long sub obviously was searched for in 14,000 square feet of water. But remember, it was an experimental craft, and it actually didn't get U.S. certification by U.S. regulations. So how did it actually go to do the deep dives? They did it in inter- international waters. But John, That's even it. A more that was the
3: technicality. And I understand Absolutely. there's articles out that uh, he's been offering discounts to people that want to do it just to bring money in and that he might have yes. been in trouble with money.
6: Well, John, they supposedly wanted to do 18 more dives this year. But how about this one? I think this one knocks it out of the park. Years ago on one of my shows, I had an interview with the Captain Don Walsh. Who is he? He and a famous aviator and explorer named Jacques Picard. They went to the deepest part of the ocean called the Challenger Deep down at the Mariana Trench. They did this. Get a load of the date, John. January 23, 1960. They went down to 35,798 feet. That's three times deeper than where the Titanic is. And they did it in this rather unusual craft. The technical name is called a escape. It comes from the Greek word both meaning, of course, deep and vessel. But I talked to Captain Don Walsh, and God bless him, he's like 90-some years old now. But that's incredible. They knew in that particular craft that it took many, many hours to descend, but they had an ability where they could not be trapped down at the bottom of the ocean that deep because of the way that craft was designed. And it was also used, it was called the Trieste. It was also used to recover or at least to identify the location of the U.S. submarine, the nuclear submarine Thresher. That went down in the Atlantic Ocean back on April 10th, 1963, in 8,400 feet of water. But isn't that amazing, John? More people have been to the moon than they have actually technically been to the deepest parts of the ocean, making what? The ocean's one of the most amazing mysteries, as we always talk about mysteries. This one, on a sad note, the loss of people on an experimental craft. But, John, the point is very well made, I think, here on the Cats Roundtable, Table. We know so little about the oceans, and yet we know so much more about outer space. Isn't that amazing, just to say?
3: It is amazing. The Navy knew about it when it happened. Absolutely, Jonathan. Yes, you're right. And they never picked up the phone to tell the Coast Guard?
6: Well, here's one of the theories on this. And again, I don't know this for certain. If I don't know something, I'll be always honest with everybody, you and the listeners. It's been reported, and I'm trying to get confirmation of this. That the Navy, obviously, as you just stated accurately, they knew about this, quote, implosion. They actually either registered on some kind of device, it registered on a device, but that they didn't want to reveal too much detail because that's one of our secret type technologies when we're talking about searching for submarines and things of that nature. But it's a shame that we don't have a ship that was once owned by Howard Hughes called the Glomar Explorer. It was used in some very secret recoveries of a Soviet submarine or two that went to the bottom of the ocean and imploded. And their purpose was to identify what that submarine had as far as the nuclear warheads that were still down at the bottom of the ocean. But it's an amazing story. I gather, John, in closing, the technology that the Navy has, they didn't want to talk too much about how they did it. But the point of the matter is some of those things, I'm sure, are even beyond top secret about how they identify something so deep and get some sort of a echo on a implosion that more likely happened with this particular craft we know.
3: Understood. Uh, we got a minute left. Anything you want to tell us on uh, what's going on out there? Is there anything special uh, this week?
6: Well, John, one of the big things, another quick story here that's been taking people's attention and off the charts is this humans are pumping so much groundwater that it changes the Earth's tilt. And that's amazing story. We could talk about it in detail in the future. But according to what these you know geologists are talking about, between 1993 and 2010, they've pumped about 2,150 gigatons of water out of the Earth, causing the Earth, in mid-latitudes where most of the orders, water's pumped out, to actually change the pole shift of the Earth. So that's quite amazing of itself. Once again, we know so little about uh, Mother Earth. But when we look into the night sky, John in closing, just remember, as you look into the northwest after sunset, as summer is here, the planet Venus shines bright. The planet Mars is nearby. We find the new a moon moving brighter each night, moving on to a full phase in early July. And it's always a privilege and honor to be with you on the Cats Roundtable, opening and expanding people's minds as we recommend them to go to WABCradio.com, the Dr. Sky Experience, where so much information is there for our listeners.
3: Thank you for having me. This is John Katz from TDs. If you want to hear the full interview, go to wabcradio.com. With us today is Dr. Peter Mihalos. We call him our in-house genius. He's a historian. He's a medical uh, expert. Uh, Dr. Mihalos, uh, what's on your mind today?
0: One of the things that we do and we should be doing every year and many people were not doing during COVID are their annual physicals and their blood work. And now, as we get back to our blood work, I want to share with our audience some of the revelations and important blood work that needs to be done because oftentimes we go to the doctor, and now with these various types of uh, health insurances and health systems, they sometimes do the bare minimum uh, blood work, but sometimes you have to advocate on your own behalf. For example, one of the uh, things that a blood test called the insulin levels because a lot of people know that their blood sugar might be normal, for example, between 80 and 100, but it might be normal because they're putting out tons of insulin because they're eating sugar all the time and their body is struggling and making a lot of insulin to keep the sugar down. So if you check insulin levels, they're finding that you can sometimes predict somebody's going to get diabetes if their insulin levels start being elevated because what happens is when we eat a lot of sugar the it gets into the blood and when it gets too high that excess sugar gets deposited on nerves causes damage called neuropathy it can get into the eye and damage the small blood vessels in our um, heart and then in, in the in the back of our eyes so that's something you might ask for if you have a family history of diabetes you can ask your doctor can you please check my insulin levels I'd like to know.
3: Doctor, when you say it causes neuropathy, is that what it means if you're eating so much sugar and you got neuropathy, is that when you when people get pains in their in their toes, etc? Pains
0: and they don't feel it. Think of it, as glycosylation is the process to make it simple. It sugar coats your nerves. It sugar coats the inside walls of your blood vessels. And when you're not getting enough blood to your feet and stuff, you start getting pain, and that's neuropathy. And then the nerve endings get sugar-coated too, so it's like blocking the signal. It's like putting uh, plastic on a wire or blocking the conduction of electricity. So you don't sometimes, you can't even feel your toes. You start walking differently. And that's what happens with this buildup of sugar. But this blood tests the insulin levels. And the same thing we know with the hemoglobin A1C, which is done more commonly, but many doctors just do a blood sugar, a fasting blood sugar. But the hemoglobin A1C tells you what was the sugar the last 90 days. And you can catch things early because the normal range should be 4.8 to 5.7. 5.7 to 6.4 is considered prediabetes, And anything 6.5 and above is considered diabetes. So these are things that we, we need to know. And sometimes you have to ask, will you be checking my insulin levels? Will you be checking my parents had diabetes? And the other test that is very interesting is the apolipoprotein B, which turns out to be uh, even one of the best predictors for cardiac disease and in 2019 it started in the eu society of cardiology where they said that apolipoprotein b which is basically the taxi cab that carries around cholesterol throughout the body is a better predictor for future cardiac disease and strokes than LDL and cholesterol basically circulates in our blood, and lipoprotein B is the taxi driver that takes it around the body and used for different things like membrane formation, but when there 's too much of it, it piles up in the artery wall. so you want to ask your doctor about that apo lipoprotein B, and the journal of the American Heart Association just this past October in the u s also said that APO B is superior to LDL as a predictor of cardiovascular disease, and you want to know so it doesn't build up in the walls, and you want there to be a level of one less than 100. If it's higher than 100, then you need to work on it, talk to your doctor, get on the proper medicines to get that number below. But everybody's worried about their cholesterol, but it turns out that's not the most predictive uh, indicator that you're going to have problems. This new test called apolipoprotein B, which has been around but has not been used as much as it should. And then the other thing that oftentimes, especially in men, as they get older, they get fatigued, they put on weight, people don't check their hormone levels. You can have low testosterone, which can affect your muscles and can affect abdominal fat and visceral fat. And basically with the American diet that we've been having, that's why we're getting all this extra sugar. And when we have extra sugar, what does the body do like it did in ancient times? It wants to store it. Where does it store it? In our abdomen. And that visceral fat around our organs turns out to be very, very toxic. And it actually has a mind of its own and makes its own hormones and sometimes its own decisions and that's why intermittent fasting is so important because at around 14 hours when we don't have sugar in our mouth or food then we start going after the refrigerator in our belly and start melting some of that fat away breaking it down us- utilizing that energy and that's how we lose weight and we get healthier and we get less um, met- what's called metabolic syndrome and it's a syndrome where we get the belly so- fat, high blood pressure
3: Understand. So, I, I was being a layman, I would say sugar is the enemy and will kill you someday, one way or another.
0: It's the sugar and it's also the insulin that it causes to be released constantly. And that big study in Nature, which is the most prestigious scientific magazine, showed that the mechanism of aging is when our proteins multiply very fast. The copying machine of our body goes very fast and it makes a lot of mistakes, which causes cancer, diseases, inflammation. So they said, what causes the copy machine to go fast? And they found that it was high insulin levels and having a lot of sugar around. So that explains why when our sugar levels are lower and our insulin levels are lower, that aging machine slows down. And that's why people who are doing intermittent fasting, people who are avoiding sugar and following the Mediterranean diet appear to age slower and live longer. And this was a breakthrough uh, finding just few weeks ago that got published in nature that basically aging is the copying machine our body goes too fast and it says i can't take it anymore and starts making dna rna copying errors but the triggers were the higher sugar and the higher insulin levels. so check your insulin levels check your apolipoprotein b levels and also look at inflammatory markers like your homocysteine level your c-reactive protein which also predicts inflammation and even proper dental care is very important to keep your inflammatory levels down. I had a dental uh, abscess I didn't even know about in a failed root canal and after I got it fixed, my C-reactive protein went right back to normal. So there are, are things that we can do to try to stay healthier, eat healthier and listen, keep listening to WABC for more health tips on how to live longer and stay alive.
3: Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you for your tips, and thank you for, uh, I, I am sure we have saved many lives, I'm sure we made many lives better uh, through our discussions, and all I can say is thank you, and God will bless you.
0: Thank you very much for always getting the truth out and increasing the health span of our audience.
3: Thanks for listening to the Round Roundtable. If you missed any interviews, go to thecatsroundtable.com or go to wabcradio.com. Go to the podcast, get those segments that you missed. Have a nice Sunday.